It's time now for the Todd Leonard Show. Leave those negative stories behind as we focus on the positive and hear from those who give back and help others. Let's start your day with some inspirational stories. Now, here's your host, Todd Leonard. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. It's Father's Day to all the dads out there. Happy Father's Day. You know, I was getting ready again for the show. We're going to have a great show today with John McAleve. You know, I was thinking about what my dad meant to me. I, I lost my dad about 11 years ago, and uh, not a day really goes by. I don't think about my dad and what he's meant in my life. I'm blessed with two young boys. So for me, uh, especially today, I think about my dad. I think about my boys and think about life's lessons that dads teach us all. I mean, as you go through life, um, you get to understand more about the importance of a dad and, and really the life's lessons that you have uh, over the years with with your dad and, and the times you spend. I know with my dad, I was blessed to work with him. We were both lawyers, and my dad was my hero. So everything I do in my life, I, I do my best to try to make him proud. And, um, you know, I just, uh, just to say all the dads, I mean, never forget the, the importance of the legacy that you're going to leave behind for your kids. Uh, Johnny Matt. Michael Levy, you're with us today, sir? I am with you, Todd. Thank you so much. First of all, I just did a little bit of the Father's Day thing, and I know that um, you had lost your dad about five years ago. So, um, you know, while we're on Father's Day, I mean, why don't you tell us about what this day means for you? Wow. First of all, I want to wish all the fathers out there a happy Father's Day. You have a, a big job there on your hands. Um, but, boy, I could talk about my dad forever. As you, uh, along the same lines as you, he was also my hero as well. He was my best friend. And uh, I wanted to be just like him when I was a kid. I, he was a man of faith. Uh, he instilled that in all of us uh, in our family. We carry that on to this day. He is also the one that introduced me to sports. I remember at an early age him watching Giants games and Knicks games and Rangers games. And, of course, I wanted to sit right beside him, and, and I, I loved all the same teams that he did. There was one big exception, though. Dad grew up a big Ted Williams fan, so we were Red Sox fans living in northern New Jersey, which I assure you was not easy back in the day. You know, the 70s and 80s were not kind to the Red Sox. And so we, we used to like to tell people that we developed a lot of scar tissue because we were always on the, uh, the losing end of everything. But, you know, Dad was the one that really instilled that in me. And, and then I recall, um, you know, as a young boy, we would walk across uh, around the corner to the school right near our house, Glenwood School, and he would hit me a thousand ground balls and pitch batting practice until his arm would fall off. You know, that's what Dad did, and he was one of those real throwbacks. He coached our Little League teams, and then when I was finished with Little League, he continued on and was a very successful manager. For many years, he coached a lot of the all-star teams in town in Milbert and Short Hills. Uh, and then, this is a great one, Todd. I can remember when I was in high school, and my buddies would come by to pick me up to go out for the night. We were going wherever we were going to do. It wouldn't just beat the horn. They they wanted to come in because they wanted to talk to Mr. Mack, you know, and find out, you know, his read on what was going on in the world. And, you know, there was a part of me that was like, hey, listen, I want to get out of here. But there was another part of me that was that was just so proud because, you know, he was my guy and, and they wanted to be a part of it. And um, those are just some of the memories I, I have of my dad. He just loved life. He loved his family and his friends. And um, he was quite a man. He left quite a mark on, on this world. 
It sounds like a wonderful person. I think both uh, you and I, uh, Johnny Mac, were were blessed to have uh, you know great parents, and 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 you know our dads were certainly special. So you know all the dads out there, shout out to them. So Johnny Mac, you know. Um, I was doing a lot of research for the show every week. I, I try to do the, my best to be really ready for the folks that are so kind to come on and, and share their life's journey. And um, when I was thinking of you and thinking about what you've gone through in your life, I, I, first things came to my mind is, you know, this Johnny McAlevey. I mean, the guy's got great strength, great courage, um, you know, really inspirational. And the show really is just to bring on people that are just, you know, willing to share their stories. You know, it's not easy. Everybody has their own journey in life, and, and you really have uh, really epitomized it. So for the folks that don't really know your story, I know in August 19, 1992, everything changed for you. Before that, you were a Providence graduate. You were, you know, loved sports, and you were hopefully going to be on ESPN. And really, you did like a lot of people in, you know, at that age. You know, you're living life. And um, you're young. Uh, you grew up in Melbourne. I grew up in Springfield. So I know there's a commonality. We had, you know, great neighborhoods and great school systems. And you shared with us, you had, you know, great family. So walk us through um, August 19th, 1992. I, I know, unfortunately, you had a horrible accident um, and, and you were left paralyzed. Um, yeah. What like what happened? I mean, you, everything's going great, and then and then you have this horrible accident, and and you rush to the hospital. Um, mm-hmm. What's going through your head at that point? I mean, you go from one moment twenty four, you got the life um, all, yeah. all in front of you, and now you're 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 very very horribly injured with the spinal cord injury. What's that like? You know, Todd. Let's just say I did not have that planned out for the rest of my life. You know. It started out like any other day. I had been working as a sales representative for Nabisco. My sister Susan, who I love dearly and has been an amazing advocate for me for all these years, she was able to, to pull some strings and get me a job as a sales rep. Um, so I was working in, uh, it was in Jersey City. It was a, a really hot day. That summer was a hot summer, 92. And I had, uh, I had a couple of stores and, when I say a sales representative for Nabisco, basically what you were was a, a glorified stock boy. So I had to just follow around the big Nabisco trucks and set up all the cake, uh, cookies and crackers um, in a lot of uh, a lot of the big stores on Route 440 in Jersey City and you know some of the inner city um, uh, supermarkets. And so I spent the day doing that. I came home. I, I took off my work clothes. I threw on my sneakers and grabbed my Sony Walkman, and for kids nowadays, Google it. They don't exist anymore, I don't think. Um, and I had some music on, and I went for a nice long run through the town of Milburn. Um, it was about, I'd say about three miles or so. I went down through town, up around past my church, uh, and back home. And little did I know that was going to be the last run that I would ever take, because later on that night, uh, after dinner, and uh, I hopped in bed. My I was living at home at the time. My base, my bedroom was in the basement of my house. And um, got into bed because I knew the next day I was going to have to train somebody. Um, and then that's sort of where everything kind of kind of goes a little fuzzy for me, Todd. Is I, I recall waking up in the middle of the night and I just didn't feel well. I, I, something was wrong. My head was spinning a little bit, and so. I thought, you know, I should probably go upstairs and get my parents to see if maybe we should go to the hospital because something is not right. I remember 
walking towards the stairs, but feeling as if I was going to faint, so I got close to the floor. Um, and I must have fainted because then I can recall wiping some blood away from uh, from my right eye. Uh, and that's really the last thing I remember. I don't I don't remember walking up my basement steps, and I don't remember falling down them. But I'm awakened at the bottom, and I am completely paralyzed from head to toe. And you know, people ask me, "Geez, you took that fall where you were in a lot of pain?" And the answer to that is no. It was just no pain. It was just complete numbness, which is something that. You know, is common for folks that have had a spinal cord injury, at least that I've spoken to, is just that eerie feeling of numbness because you have no feeling in your body anymore. And um, that's where I wake up at the bottom, and it's a whole new world is about to begin. I hear my dad coming down the stairs. I just remember whispering to him because I really didn't have good lung capacity because the injury was so high in my spinal cord that I could really only whisper to him. I just remember telling him, don't move me, don't touch me, um, because you can do more damage in that respect. And then I remember the Melbourne Short Hills First Aid Squad, who has been amazing for uh, for the years, at least helping us out. They came down with the surfboard, and then we were all the way on, on the way up to Overlook Hospital, and um, you know, a whole new world had just begun for me. Yeah. So Johnny Mac, in terms of, of that, I mean, you know, obviously you took a, a horrible fall. What level in your cervical spine um, was severely damaged? My injury is at the C3-4, which is pretty much as high as you can go. One and two is is known as the, uh, the hangman fracture. Um, and that is, um, you know, if you remember... I think Christopher Reed was C1, too. He was very high. Um, I was lucky enough that my injury was not a complete injury, which means I did not sever my spinal cord. I just severely bruised it. Had I, had I severed it, I would no doubt be in a power wheelchair and probably on maybe a ventilator because it's so high on, uh, on my cord. So it was C3-4, but mine also came with another distinction, something called central cord syndrome. And I knew nothing about spinal cords before I injured mine. Um, but the central portion of your spinal cord is responsible in a lot of ways for your fine motor skills. So your arms, hands, fingers, um, all of that type of thing. And that was really severely bruised for me. So um, spinal cord people that have a, a central cord syndrome injury are often known to be able to walk around but they have very little use of their upper bodies. So I can, I remember somebody telling me early on that, John, think of yourself as an upside down para. I mean, paraplegics can't use your legs. You will be someone that probably will have very little use of your arms. And, you know, as hard as that was to hear, you know, it's, it's kind of been true because I really do not have a great use of my arms. I like to tell people that I can, I can get up and walk wherever I want to go. I just can't do anything once I get right. there. Right. So in terms of, of, of Johnny Mac, so in terms of this, um, 
you had uh, told me because we we had spoken in advance of the show that you had actually had a football injury where you were numb for a period of time playing high school. You took a hit and you were numb for a few minutes. Was it your hope and prayer when you were you know rushed to Overlook Hospital that it was going to be something comparable to that, or did you know it was just like oh my god, like this is just like much much worse? You know, absolutely. I was hoping and praying that it was going to be the same. As, uh, as happened on the field, I, I went out for a pass, went to catch a pass, um, and the defender came up and hit me in the back, and my head snapped back. So it was sort of a whiplash type of a thing. And I remember him trying to help me up. He was pulling my arm, and, and I'm looking up at him like, wow. And then, um, you know, I, I had no feeling, and I just sort of crumbled back to the ground. And, you know, within a couple of minutes, knock on wood, everything came back. I remember the coaches telling my parents when they picked me up, oh, he got his bell wrong, you know. And I thought, it was a little bit more than that, fellas. But, um, yeah, I, I was thinking that, but, you know, as the as the time started to go by, um, I, I knew that this was, this was going to be something that... Um, was going to be a little bit more involved. Right. So, Johnny Mac, in terms of your situation, obviously, you know, your world's turned upside down. You're 24. You had your whole life in front of you, and all of a sudden now you're at Overlook. I understand you had to have surgery at C3-4 to stabilize. And then you, they send you over to Kessler. Now, we know Kessler is one of the finest facilities, really, in the country, uh, West Orange and Chester. And, and shout out to the wonderful people at, you know, the, the Kessler. So you're there. And, um, you know, obviously you got a lot of things going through your mind. And, and, and I realize, Johnny Mac, in fairness, we're going back like 28 years. And we're going to talk a lot about everything you're doing today. But just for the listeners to understand what you've gone through in your life, the adversity, the courage, the strength, the intestinal fortitude. Now, I understand, you know, obviously um, you, you mentioned you had a very close family. So your family's there. I'm assuming um, this is like a really tough time emotionally. How do you get through those dark days, Johnny Mac, when you're you're there and you know you're coming to the realization your life is going to be much different? Well, I have to tell you that you know family, as you mentioned, they were there from day one. As I um, tip of my hat to my father in the beginning of the show, he was he was sort of the rock that that kept everybody going. Um, but see, it's different when you're when you're the one in the bed. You sort of don't see what goes on, you know, outside the room. You know, I'm trying to put the pieces of my life together, but you know, your family and your friends are are in this with you too, um, and so they're going through that whole thing. My mom, who who I who I still live with to this day, has been, you know, an amazing advocate and has done anything and everything that I could have ever asked for. And again, I mentioned my sister too was there. But what was neat about going to Kessler is that my friends, who were not going to leave me behind, they would all pile in on the weekends in, in the rotunda where they had a big screen TV. It was uh, This was November and December, so football season, college football season was there. So all my buddies would take the bus in from New York City and pile around the television set, so they sort of kept me going. But, yeah, you know, there are there's dark days because here I was, you know, running four miles a night, and now I can't, you know, wiggle my toes, and I can't, you know, do little things. You know, people don't like to hear about stuff like this, but two of the biggest muscles in your body that are affected by, you know, spinal cord injury are your bowel and your bladder. You know, so you got issues with that. It's not just walking and, and that whole thing. So there's issues in that respect. One of the good things 
um, that I found when I first got there was that most of the therapists at Kessler were were all female and they were all right around my age. So <laughs> my buddies would tell me they'd come up and say, "Hey, John, this is like a sorority house here. These uh, these all these gals that are helping you out are all around our same age, and um, so that made it a lot easier." But you know, I'm not going to lie to you; it's tough when you're when you're trying to learn how to to walk again and you're trying to learn how to unbutton a shirt and to try and feed yourself. I mean, I had to learn all of these new things and I was 24 years old and so it was, you know, I wanted to do it now, now, now and, and it just took forever and in many respects, it's still to, to this day, I still have a lot of issues with that type of stuff. Yeah, so Johnny Mac, in terms of that that situation, that journey you, you started, and we're 28 years later now, uh, it's coming up on 28 years, August 1992. Um, when you think about it now, and you go back in your mind, and, and obviously we're going to go through all the wonderful things you've done, what do you think was the key? I know you talked to your family and talk, you talked about your buddies and, and, you know, for the folks that don't understand how important it is, if you have loved ones and they're in the hospital and they're not feeling well, I know COVID-19 has turned the world upside down, but how important it is to show that encouragement and love. What do you think is that one key, Johnny Mac, looking back, if there is one that you could say, you know, this is really the key. If you're in that horrible situation or you love someone that's going through it, what is that one element? you think that really lifted you up and, and gave you the inner spirit, you know, to carry on and, and not just lay in bed, oh, my God, like, you know, feel sorry for yourself. Is there any one key? I, I think maybe it was that I knew that I had support. I knew that I had my family and my friends, my hometown. Uh, I, I know that everybody was, you know, going to bat for me. And then I also think it was it was a strong faith that, that we had grown up with. Um, you know, we were Sunday mass goers and we were, I went to a Catholic college and my sister went to a Catholic school and that was a part of who we were growing up and, and it was something that I think was a strong backbone. But yeah, I, I think it's, it supports, I think it's faith and it's knowing that, you know, there's people in, in court with you that, that are going to be, they're going to have your back. I remember there were some friends of mine that were, at Kessler with me at the time that did not have families. There was a young man that was just married, and I remember that his wife could not deal with it, and she basically bailed on him, and the poor guy was, you know, not only severely injured, but now his life was turned upside down in that respect. But I think that that's what it is. If you don't have that, knowing that you have the support of people behind you, then um, that it makes it that much harder. Yeah, you know, you, you you brought up something, Johnny Mac, and and um, for those listening, Johnny McLevy, what a wonderful person. I, I was thinking about my my late grandfather was in uh, Overlook. He wasn't feeling well, and we have a we had a great, really tight family, and my parents were visiting, and there was a there was a uh, this is a bit of a Father's Day story, so just bear with me on the digression, but. Father's Day, what other day is you going to give your dad the glory that you, your dad really deserves? So we're at Overlook, we're visiting Papa, and um, we're in the, he didn't have a private room, so it's my grandfather, the whole family, the whole Leonard family is like there, you know, my brothers, my parents, and that's just how it is. And there's a kid next to my uh, grandfather, you know, it wasn't a private room, and, and my dad felt really bad for the kid because he was alone, he was a, 
it was ironically someone I realized a little later. It was someone I grew up with. And he was, I don't know, maybe three and a half, four feet tall. But the beauty of the story is that my dad being the kind of guy he is, and you touched on this in terms of he was lonely. He, no one was there visiting. So my dad started, you know, striking up a conversation with this young man. And... Um, my dad found out he loved music. So this is way back, and you can relate to this, Crazy Eddie's on Route 22, the Double Deuce in, in uh, Union Springfield. Yeah. Unbeknownst to us, my dad just leaves. We're like, where the heck, where'd dad go? My dad comes back like a half hour later with a, a beautiful keyboard, and, and it was like... And I remember this at this moment, and he gave it to, the, to this young man, and the, the young man was like... What? He didn't even know my dad. And, and that was the beauty of my dad in terms of like lifting us people's spirits because you need to have that, that strength. So once again, my dad taught me so many life's lessons and I, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, tell that story, especially on Father's Day for everyone listening because it takes a special person to, to lift up someone and to be so generous and so giving and so really kind. Um, and I think that's such a valuable lesson for all dads to try to be as kind and generous. And you, you set an example and I don't know, this story is probably, you know, I don't know, it's, um, it could be four, over 40 years ago, but I remember the beauty of my dad. What a wonderful person. So, Johnny Mac, so while you're at Kessler, something rises up and, and you start, you know, helping others. I mean, you're doing public speaking, you're doing things, you're, you're, you're involved um, with the Kessler for rehab, uh, we're going into the schools. So you started realizing you're elevating yourself. Where'd you get that strength from to start? You know, I'll call you a leader because you are in terms of just your strength and your willingness to share. Where do you think you got that from? You know something, Todd? It's not easy to do. Um, you know, most people, when they think of spinal cord injured folks, they think of a wheelchair. And so, you know, when people see them in public, they know that, okay, something has happened with this person, that they've had some sort of a spinal cord injury. But, you know, for someone like me that can get up and walk around, people don't know what to expect. And, and they don't know what my story is. In fact, I've had people stop me and say, you know, hey, John, not for nothing, but... What the heck is your deal, man? We see you walking around, but it's not the most prettiest thing. And they really and truly don't know what my story is. So that it took a little bit, you know, of convincing from my friends and some of the nurses at Kessler to say, you know, John, we think that you'd be someone that would be a good advocate to go out and speak in some of the schools. So um, after a little prodding, I went out with, uh, with some folks. It was called the Think First Project. And we would go into grammar schools and we would talk to the children about, you know, lessons because it would be in the springtime when, you know, when kids would be getting back into jumping in the pools and going into the ocean and, you know, doing fun things. And so we would, we would implore on them that if you are going to dive into a pool, to always put your hands out in front of you uh, and be careful around the pool also. Uh, we would talk about wearing helmets um, when you ride bicycles. I know a lot of people, they, they don't think it's cool. They don't want to go out and ride their bike without a helmet on. And I know I sound like a 100-year-old grandfather, but it's so important because, you know, if you break your arm, you'll put a cast on it, and your arm will get better. And same thing with your leg. If you break your leg, you can put a cast on it. But, 
there's two things that if you injure that will never be the same again. One is your brain and one is your spinal cord. So we would talk to kids about keeping that in the back in the back of their mind so that they were cognizant of that and that they weren't gonna, you know, do stupid things and uh, to really take care of their body because they really only have one and I certainly found out in the split second how everything can change. Well, that, those are really important lessons I know with our kids and all the kids in the neighborhood. We always implore them, make sure you have a helmet on. And, and certainly with people with the pools this time of year, too, you got to be especially cautious. Um, so, Johnny, you, you had created a fund for the people listening. Um, to, you, you've done so many things in your life. We're, we're going to get through that in the next segment. I was trying to build a little bit of a foundation. Um, but uh, in terms of your fund, what what is the name of your fund? It's called the John McAlevey Jr. Fund. Doesn't it have a nice ring to it? It does. <laughs> yeah, the John McAlevey Jr. Fund. And it was set up by friends when I had had my accident, you know, because nobody really knows what to expect when something like this happens. And um, and so we, some really great friends put that together for us. We had a couple of terrific benefits at the Hilton up in Short Hills. Which, you know, it's funny, people still to this day say, hey, John, you know, let's do another one of those benefits because it was almost like a, you know, reunion. It was like a high school reunion. So many people came back and, you know, so many people were involved and wanted to be there again. That support word uh, came into effect and, and we just packed the place a couple of times and it was um, it was terrific. I can remember coming along with uh, a bunch of the girls, a bunch of the therapists came with me um, and they were a part of it. They got to meet my high school friends and got to meet, you know, neighbors who, you know, just loved all of us. And so that was what that was for. And it was, it was something that was terrific. And to this day, it is used. What we do is we pay for uninsured medical and physical costs folks who have had spinal cord injuries and we donate at least twice a year um, and over the years we have donated wheelchairs uh, power chairs we've donated racing chairs we've donated shower chairs we have bought exercise equipment like um, arm cycles and, and treadmills we have uh, paid for folks to have uh, driving lessons again that they're going to get behind the wheel after their spinal cord injury and also um, hours and hours of therapy for people that um, that can't afford to pay for it. And that's something that I am proud of and, and I know that all of the people that, that donated in the beginning are also proud of and it's something that uh, they carry on. Yeah, you should be proud. Day. So um, w how do they reach you if they wanted to make a donation to this incredible, important, very important fund? What they could do is we have a, uh, a mailing address. They could send it to the John McAlevey Jr. Fund and that is 55 Brookside Drive. That's in New Providence, New Jersey and the zip code is 07974. Right. Well, that's important. Uh, you know, I want everybody who's tuning in and listen to your really powerful story to know you have a really important fund. So we're going to take a really short break and we're going to be right back. 
The Todd Leonard Show is sponsored by the Leonard Foundation, whose mission is to support the children and families who are battling pediatric cancer and those in need of food and assistance, women's shelters, and other important social services in the community. They also proudly support those fighting pancreatic cancer. They feel it's vitally important to help those in need in our amazing community when they need us the most. Please join them in extending a helping hand and go to LeonardCharity.org and donate now. Together, we can touch many lives. So, John, I want to talk about um, your involvement uh, in sports. Now, from what I gather, you love sports growing up. Uh, you were trying to land a job with the ESPN right before the horrible accident on August 1992. But you got into sports and and you've been coaching basketball for a long time and as a little further backdrop we have a mutual friend Adam Bear Bain you know the Bains um, lived on Fieldstone I lived on Pitt Road in Springfield so I have a really close bond with Adam and we were we're talking a little bit of war stories and he was telling me a little bit about you know who you are and and really really think so highly of you as a person and certainly as a coach so let's talk about basketball um, I understand you've been coaching basketball in Melbourne uh, for a long time. When did you start coaching? That's a great story. Um, sports was always my thing. And and when I was done with my playing career in high school, um, running became uh, paramount with me and exercising and just being physical. And, and, and when, when I had the injury and that window closed for me where I couldn't go out and get my aggressions out by running a couple miles at the track I really didn't know where I was going to find that and I had a friend that said hey John I just started coaching basketball why don't you come and help me out and I thought you have to be crazy not only can I not only dribble a basketball I can't even hold a basketball at this point and and being around 14 year old boys I was 14 years old once I can and I remember when the substitute teacher would come in the room how things would turn so I, I could only imagine what they would have been thinking of me, you know, walking in the room like Quasimodo, how, how I would have gotten the business behind my back. But, you know, I went that first day and, you know, it was pretty good. And then I didn't really say anything and I just sort of monitored how it was going. And then I went back and I went back and then I started, you know, pulling people aside and explaining, you know, how I thought that they should do things. The hardest part, Todd, is, is not being able to go out there and actually show them what to do because I physically I can't do that or I would get knocked over um, but after that first year I got more involved and, and yeah, well, sorry. When when was that? What year did you start? And I want for the listeners to understand. You had a significant spinal cord injury at C three, C four. You can't dribble a ball. You can't really hold the clipboard very well. I'm assuming you you basically you know you can't run up and down the court and actually physically show the the kids. And these are 14 year old kids. What what year was that? It's, well, this is going to be my, uh, I, I'm, we're not sure if it's my 20th or my 21st season on the bench. So we're going back a long ways now. Um, and um, But it was folks, you mentioned in the lead-in, uh, Adam Baines, who's our, 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 both of our dear friends. I can't say enough about him not only helping me out as uh, as a coach, but as a person. He's a wonderful guy. He's a great father on Father's Day. I want to wish him a happy Father's Day. He's done so much for me, you know, mentally to keep me in the game and, and whether I need a ride or whether I need 
um, you know, help on the bench. He would come and sit with me if my assistant coach was never there. So, I, I mean, I can't thank him enough. He, he's been an amazing advocate um, over the years. But, yeah, it's um, I, I, as the season went by, I started to just get a little bit more confidence in myself. And I um, that's a big word, confidence. You have to have confidence in yourself. And um, there, I can't show you how many khaki pants I have, Todd, with, with dry erase pen all over them because I'm either dropping the pen because my fingers don't work or because I'm trying to put it back in the cap and I'm writing all over myself at the same time. But, you know, the boys are resilient. You know, once once the game starts, they, I don't know if they just look past what my story is, but they look me in the eye when I draw up a play and then they go out there and they run the play. It, it's been amazing. And I can't thank the kids enough because they've they've given me more than than I can give them. I have to tell you that the fact that I'm back in the game again and um, I can be involved with competition again has been an absolute godsend for me over these years. Right. Um, I mean, you know, we have a, sh- a share another common bond is I've been coaching Special Olympics basketball for over 20 plus years and I love coaching and I was thinking about, you know, what you've been able to do for two decades where you're coaching, you're not even physically on the court really running up and down the court, but you're basically doing a tremendous job being a coach. What, what's the reaction of the kids? So you've been doing it 20 years, so you have a much better perspective. I mean, here you are you volunteering your time um what's the reaction of the the, the kids i mean they're still kids i mean they're adolescents i mean 14 years old give or take what's the reaction of the athletes over the years you know behind my back i don't know (laughs) it might be a completely different story behind my back but but i think that the one word that i come back to is i think the word would be respect i think they i think they respect the fact that I'm out there doing it. They know that, it, you know, I'm not like any other coach that they've ever had. And it's not easy for me. I know that sometimes I have to ask them to help me get my coat on. When when practice is over, they need to carry the, the basketball bag to and from my car. Um, and they don't think twice about it. it it's, it's really amazing. As I said, when I draw up a play, what I'll do is I, I like to watch a lot of college basketball games. And if I see a play that I like, I'll name it after the school, and then we go out and we show them in practice and we run it. And we have a number of plays each and every year. The boys know all of them. They listen. They really don't fool around too much in practice. And and I think that they respect it, that I put time into it, and at the end of the day I want what is best for them. And, um, and that comes out oftentimes at the end of the season in the emails that I get from their parents where they will tell me things along the lines that, you know, whatever my son may have learned X and O-wise pales in comparison to some of the life lessons that they've learned just being around you. Um, and, and that means a lot to me, you know, that, uh, first of all, I want to win as many games as I can, but, um, you know, if the boys could learn a little something about, you know, winning and losing, but life in general through through being around me, then... 
been all the more better. No, no question about it. You know, I grew up in Springfield, and we had a great basketball program for 7th, 8th graders, 6th, uh, 7th, and 8th, called the Springfield Minutemen. And I remember Coach Kernis and, and just the great coaches, uh, Mr. Donington, uh, Mr. Marrick, Teddy Johnson. We, there were some incredible coaches. and It was a great program. It was something kids, you know, really wanted to be on. But I remember, you know, just how disciplined, but, you know, how much respect. And one of the things, the reason why I still love basketball, I think, is we had great coaches. Now, in terms of the involvement, um, and you talked about life's lessons. So for basketball, for me as a coach, I always thought you want to win, but you also want to teach life's lessons. What do you think are some of the important life's lessons you've been able to convey to the kids you've been able to coach over these 20 years? Well, I hope that they can pick up from me that, you know, life might, you know, not be the easiest uh, as could be for some folks and that you don't just, you know, pitch your tent and head on home. Um, I mean, they can see that there's days where I am really struggling and, and I'm having a hard time and, you know, I'm still there and I'm not 24 years old anymore. I'm, I'm 52 right now and um, I'm still doing it. It's funny each and every year. When, when the teams come in, we play, uh, Milburn being in Essex County, we play a lot of really good competition teams from Maplewood that, that really beat us bad every year. Uh, West Orange and, and Montclair and, uh, South Orange. We play a lot of really good competition and oftentimes there's turnover from one year to another, um, in coaching. And there's been one constant in Milburn for, for these past 20 years or so, and it's been me. And, and uh, every once in a while I'll bump into one of the recreation directors from one of the other towns and they'll say, geez, you're still at this game, aren't you? And I say, yeah, I am. It's, it keeps me young, and, it, and as I said, it fills that void in my world that, that I need for uh, competition. And so I think that that is something that I hope that the boys will will pick up from me is that, you know, never say die. And, um, you know, if you, if you lose a game, it doesn't mean that you quit playing. Or if you, if you don't make the team, we'll always give that, you know, that talk that, hey, you know, Michael Jordan didn't make his freshman team. But, um, you know, if you put the time in and you keep working at it, then, uh, next year's another year and you come back and you give it your best shot that next year. Yeah, I think, you know, this is a great example of kind of the person you are is you really are teaching so many life lessons in terms of being able to overcome real adversity and to really just um, lift others up. And where do you think you got that from, your willingness to really put yourself out there? Because like you said, I mean, you know, you don't have your normal um, coach's physical attributes. You're you're limited, but you obviously know so much about the game. Where where do you think you got that inside to be willing to put yourself out there, so to speak? Um, because, you know, once again, it's not you're not your stereotypical coach. Where do you think you got that from? I think first and foremost is I like to win. I, I want to win, and and I like competition. And I think I found that out more one, you know, years down the road. What's the old saying? You know, if you only knew then what you know now, and 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 life is wasted, uh, uh, the youth or whatever, something like that. But I, I don't know as to whether when I was playing that I put as much into what I do now, and I see that you know, oh geez, if I had only done that then then maybe I would have been a much better player so I don't want to see people waste their talent I mean I know I have some boys that are 
that are really good and, and that they can be better if they're if they're able to put the time in. Um, and so I think that's part of it. I also think, you know, you only get one bite at the apple, Todd, and just because something happens to you, you can't hide in, you know, close the door and hide in your room. If you want to live your life, you have to get out and do that. And sports were something that, that meant a lot to me, and I wanted to be around it. And so I, I took that first step and put myself out there. And um, here I am all these years later still still being a part of it. Yeah, you know, you talk about this um, this attitude of never give in, never quit, um, just keep on going. Another funny little story. So I'm out with my, my little guy. We're playing some golf, little local um I call it like a little pitch and putt course, and and Daddy was hitting um, a Bristol golf ball. Uh, my son somehow is fixated with golf, so I hit the ball. I thought it hit it pretty good, but it went into like the deepest rough you've ever seen in your life. And my son's like, listen, we're not leaving until you find the golf ball. I'm like, listen, what do you mean? This is like, we we got a lot of golf balls. No, no, we're not leaving. So I I turned that into one of those life's lessons, which is you never give up. And I said, you know, one of the important qualities in life is never give up. And I remember my dad going back to, you know, Father's Day's um, the stories. Uh, My dad never gave up in life. And he was a fighter and a battler. And and hopefully I'll instill that in my kids. But what you're what you're teaching the kids, and, and the reason why I think it's so important, John, is that what you're doing today and what you've done over 20 years will impact the kids in ways you don't even realize until years later. So I think that's really amazing what you're doing. So one of the things that I also know because of your passion in sports, like you're a natural. I know you have a, you're on a radio show, show more sports now, and 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 you have you know great great folks around you, and you've always stayed involved in sports. But what I really wanted to focus on now, John, is y- you developed your own show, your own show. Um, it's called the Quadcast. So yeah. for the listeners, and this is really fascinating to me, another great example of your willingness to put yourself out there and tell your story, and hopefully it'll inspire folks. Um, and I think that's a beautiful thing about yourself. Tell us about Quadcast. What's that all about? You know, Todd, it's something that has been in my head for um, many moons now, as I like to say. It's something that I had talked about ad nauseum and with not only my friends but my family, my therapist at Kessler, you know it was catchy, it rhymed with podcast you know and I had 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 a spinal cord injury and I am technically a quad so it sort of all kind of fit together quadcast, podcast and, and my tagline is it's a 30 to 45 minute session of PT and OT for your soul and I guess the gist of it was, you know, I had this sort of a journalism background. I I interned at an ABC TV affiliate in Providence, Rhode Island for three years. And I worked at a startup sports news network, which was sort of an ESPN light right out of college. And I was editing highlights and writing scripts and up till two in the morning when all these games would end. So I, I had that sort of journalism background, even though I wasn't a journalism major. And one thing I, it's funny, I like to tell people is my arms really don't work, my hands don't work, my fingers don't work, my legs work somewhat, but my mouth works, and I can talk. And I've always sort of had, um, I think I inherited it from my father, I've sort of had that gift for gab where I can 
I can tell a story and I can keep people uh, laughing and, and at least I like to think so. But um, I just thought that it would be something that would not only benefit me in the long run cathartically, but, you know, and, and with all due respect to the COVID-19 and the coronavirus where, you know, the catchphrase sort of became, we're all in this together. That was something that I had written down years and years ago um, for folks like me that had the spinal cord injury. We're all in this together. Um, and so it would be somewhere where people could come on and they could tell their stories of, of you know, triumphs that, that really do inspire people. I like to say that it's really the Quadcast is, is for, you know, the disabled community. But in the long run, it's really for anybody who just wants to be inspired by stories of never giving up and, and triumph over what has been a terrible thing in people's lives. Yeah, you know, you know, when I watch, uh, I, I've listened to a number of the episodes, and, the, and they're wonderful. I, I was really uh, impressed by it. Don't put me out of business, please. I mean, but it was, it was really good stuff. Um, how does someone tune into the quadcast? Is there a website, or how do they log on and check it out? Because they're really great stories. Yes, you can access it by uh, my website is www.quadcast.org. And um, I wish that people would go and take a look at it. I tried to put the website together months ago and had no idea what I was doing and um, came around to the conclusion that for you have to pay somebody to make something look nice. And so just recently I had a, a young lady that really retooled it, and it looks terrific. And we're, we're on a number of uh, pod hosting sites. We're on um, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. We're on something called um, Overcast. I'm on iHeartRadio. I'm on Spotify, SoundCloud, and also Stitcher. Um, but you could access that again through www.quadcast.org. And uh, another thing I like to tell people is uh, I'm trying to build my audience two ears at a time. So if you could uh, tell a friend or ten, then that would be great. Yeah, I mean, once again, I mean, you put yourself out there and and you, you created something. And, and for all the listeners, I, I know that probably for you, like me, when you do something new, you have no idea. There's fear. There's things holding you back. And then you say, well, wait a minute. This is something inside. I just I want to do it and I want to do it to the best of my ability. And even though people might say, oh, you can't do it or, you know, you don't have the gifts or the tools or whatever, you got to do your thing. Uh, are you with me on that? Does that make some sense does that resonate with you without a doubt yeah and it's it's interesting because it's all done out of i like to tell people my home studio i do it out of my studio Tom, it's my bedroom and i got some equipment i got a good microphone i have a laptop computer and i have a, a gentleman over um in new york city that mixes the show for me um one of one of the things that was a driving force behind the show was the music that i picked and this is an interesting story. It's um, it was a song by Soul Asylum. We're going back to the again 1992. It was a song called Black Gold, and it happened to be playing in the Jim A. Therapy uh, Physical Therapy Gym the day that they wheeled me in for my first day of therapy. And the song was playing rather loudly. That was one thing they always did was kept uh, the gyms upbeat with music. And the reason it resonated with me was because there was a, a refrain in the song that said, I don't care about no wheelchair, 
I got so much left to do with my life. And it just kept playing over and over in the back of my head. And it became the driving force behind the therapy that I would do. And I always said, you know, if I'm going to put this show together, that's going to be the music I'm going to use. And it is. It's, it's the intro and it's the outro. And it's, um, it's the driving force behind the whole program. Isn't that amazing, though, when you look back and you listen to, a, uh, let's say, a piece of music and there's something about it, and then years later, you're creating this really wonderful thing, the quadcast. I mean, I urge everyone to check it out. It's really amazing. And um, and then there you are. You're, you're putting it to, to use. Uh, one of the things also, when we were getting ready for the show, I was, like I said, trying to impress the audience with some knowledge of who I'm bringing on. And uh, you have a quote. What, what's your one of your quotes? Uh, I, it really resonates with me as well it was that you know everyone that you meet in your life is dealing with something that you know nothing about and that you should just at the end of the day be kind and it's funny it was something uh, uh, my family has a has a house down at the Jersey Shore and there's a woman that has a, a store around the corner where she sells antiques and knickknacks and things like that and she's sort of an old soul and she always writes something on her chalkboard out front and i remember one day i was walking up to the beach and i saw that there and i thought wow you know it's so true i mean people people see folks whether they're either in a wheelchair or someone like me that's having a hard time getting around and they know that something obviously has happened to us or we were born with something but there's plenty of people out there that that don't have something that's physically ailing them that you have no idea i mean what they're going through i mean maybe their mother is sick or their father is sick or they're sick or their children are sick but you know at the end of the day you have two ways to deal with people you could either you know just brush right by them or you could put a hand out and say hello or shake well nowadays i guess we can't shake hands anymore but you could say hello to somebody you could just be kind and and it's always something that i've sort of um, thought that I'd lived my life by and, and it just resonated with me that, you know, life is too short. We should be kind to everybody. So this is something that really, you know, resonates again and really hits me to the core. I, I've had the D'Amico family on and they created Kindness for Christopher and uh, in Randolph, uh, I drive to work um, probably too much. I work a lot and um on, on Millbrook across they have the high school and for months it had just two words be kind and when I had the D'Amico family on and I was you know they had sadly lost their, their beautiful son at such a young age and um, they talked about being kind to people and you have no idea what people are going through and, and I, I keep on part of the show is hopefully lifts people's up, people's emotions up and make them feel better but the idea of being nice to people you don't really know what journey they're on I, I think that's, that's really important now let's go back to this quadcast because this kind of fascinated me you turn the microphone on yourself and in episode three you really went on your own journey and, and really shared you know details of your life and you're very transparent and i find that you know certainly to be a gift of yours is to really talk about what you've gone through so i had a few things uh, that i wanted to ask you if you'll permit okay which is sure you're you're in your early 50s you got hurt so badly when you were 24 but you're highly intelligent first of all you're on the show so that made you intelligent because i have to say i only bring on smart people but um 
you have a view of the world now in terms of how people look at folks that maybe don't walk perfectly or can't do certain things um and how people are are like treat you um when you don't have let's say all of the physical attributes that people will use to quote normal because what the heck is normal nobody's really normal everybody has their own things they have to go through but what's been your perspective over you know these like 28 years and how people treat folks with disabilities you know again it i think it's harder almost in a way for someone like me because as I mentioned before you see somebody in a wheelchair and you know there's people in wheelchairs are all over the place and, and you've just come grown accustomed to that and uh, some of them now are power chairs and you know people are, they accept it which is thankfully thank goodness you know the ADA and all of that it's been uh, a remarkable thing but when you see somebody that's Walking and, you know, their arms are not really swinging and it's sort of, you know, like, maybe it's not, they think, you know, hey, what the heck is wrong with that guy? And they're, they're just inquisitive. So oftentimes, Todd, I just sort of tunnel vision. I just walk with my eyes on the prize just right out in front of me and I continue along. So I, I don't necessarily notice what's going on around me. But I have to say that my friends have never Mr. B. I mean, I'm just John, and that's just fine. You know, I'm I'm the same uh, same person from the neck up, um, as I like to say. I hope I can make people smile and make people laugh with some of the things that I say, and um, I, I think that they've just accepted me. And and those that don't want to uh, accept, then then again, that's on them. But I have really had very little adverse effects after my injury. I have to say. Right, uh, but I mean, once again, I mean, because of just some people are being, they're just, they don't understand. There, there are some people out there, unfortunately, that aren't great people and, and right. will make fun of folks that aren't, you know, from however they view the universe. They're not exactly like them physically, but they don't understand really what those, those folks have been going through. Um, yeah. and I agree. I mean, over the years, it seems like, appropriately our society is opening their arms up to folks with all kinds of disabilities we still have a long way to go but i I certainly understand that you know we're making progress but i'm not putting myself in in your situation because you have a unique perspective one of the things that's really striking and i use that word striking sometimes when i have folks on that really just hit me in a way um your attitude um you have a great attitude um i i haven't heard you know when i talked to adam about you and 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 spoke to you and 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 listen to you um i don't hear sadness i don't hear depression i don't hear oh me oh my what did i go through um that's that's remarkable that you've been able to kind of live really a very positive light life where where i mean looking back again i mean this point of things i do on the show and i really appreciate you sharing but the soul where where do you get that that positive energy where you lift yourself up i had linda graziano uh, who created a canvas of hope beautiful book you lift yourself up off the ground literally and and you've been such a productive member of society where do you think you really got that that ability you know, I think that something like that, you know, not to sound quirky, but I think that's God-given, you know. I, I think, again, my outlook on the fact that, you know, you only have one bite at the apple. I think I said that before. You have one go-round. And, you know, if if 
hiding in the corner and, you know, crying would make me better. Believe me, Todd, I'll be in the corner crying and, and you know, make, feeling sorry for myself. But unfortunately, it doesn't get you better. And you either choose to put that one foot in front of the other and make the most of what you still have left or it's going to get the better of you. And, you know, I just, listen, there's so many things that I can't do. I mean, I don't even want to talk about all the things that I can't do because there's so many of them, but there's a lot of things that I still can do. Um, and maybe there's more that I could probably have done over the years, but it's, it's not that easy to put yourself out there, you know, in a lot of respects. Uh, I'm proud of the fact that I've done a lot of things and there's things that I probably wish I could have done more. But, you know, at this point, I am uh, where I am and I think I'm... Uh, I'm doing a pretty good job with what I still have left. Uh, let me just say, you're doing an amazing job. I am so proud that you're able to join us today because you're really a great example of just the spirit, the courage. If this isn't inspirational, I don't know. Like you said, you, you you were hurt so badly, but you kept on trucking. You kept on living. You're making the world better. You got the quadcast show. I wish you the very best. Um, is there anything else? We got about 30 more seconds with you, and then I'm just going to do my, my last uh, minute or yeah. so on the show. Any other advice for the listeners in terms of um, what you've experienced in terms of your goals and, and, and your view on life? I just think that whatever adversity life deals you, you know, you don't want to get all, um, you know, hunky here, but you just have to accept what has happened unfortunately and as bad as it might be and you have to you know soldier on you have to deal with what you still have left and make the most of of what you do have and i think that that would be um the advice that i would get and uh, give and if i could just quickly send a shout out to folks who have been amazing and accepted me matt lockwood and steve kitchener my friends at more sports now that 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 picked me up and gave me an opportunity to get back in the game of sports again and to get my opinion out there. They've been amazing, and and I thank them for uh, all the time and efforts that they've given me over the years. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you also got a huge career, which we really didn't focus on at all, which you show more sports now. And Matt and Steve have certainly been wonderful people to you, and you're a wonderful guy as well. So I would only say this, John, you know, keep on doing what you're doing, Johnny Mac. You know, you're really a great source of inspiration for me and for hopefully all the listeners check out quadcast uh, i think it's a wonderful show and i wish you all the best that life has to offer and it's really been an honor for you to join us um next week we're gonna have paul profet on he's a very successful entrepreneur in real estate he's going to talk about how he really has given back to the community and understand what's important in life the other thing once again is it is father's day and for those that are just tuning in now or those have a chance to listen to the show later in the day or whenever they get a chance don't forget your father um you know it's an important day if your dad's alive go and hug him give him a kiss tell him how much you love him if you're not getting along great with your dad bury that hatchet and call your dad hug your dad love your dad uh, once again i want to wish everyone a wonderful father's day i hope you tune in next week remember take care of each other and hopefully you'll tune in next week. Take care.